0: Hi everyone and welcome back to A Drop in the Bucket. This is a podcast about mental well-being where we use the analogy of a stress bucket to think about what affects our mental health and what helps us to cope and feel well.
1: We are a primary school teacher and a clinical
0: psychologist who love talking to people about their experiences and we want to share these conversations with you. Hi everybody, welcome back to A Drop in the Bucket or as my son is now able to say
1: how cute is that? I honestly, I love it. I love that in some of his first words, we've taught him the name of our podcast. Next year, he'll be a guest. Just, yeah. you know, that's that's the natural progression in this. Uh, we're thinking ahead to succession planning. Someday
0: we'll be able to retire and give the whole podcast to him, frankly. Yeah, I mean, that sounds a little bit depressing to, to say already. But then I just remembered that when on my 18th birthday, I got a letter about my pension. Yes. I think that was the biggest kick in the face. Yeah.
1: But. That, you know, at least this is a bit more positive at least we're thinking that this podcast might be going <laughs> up until the point that we could retire from it yeah. you know I loved having Louisa on she was one of those people where it just uh, connections by connections happened um and we, we you know we'd not spoken to her we didn't really know her and um her story is just incredible and the passion that she has for young people and mental health I
0: was blown away Absolutely. I think this is a really timely episode. We talked a lot about, again, kind of mental health in schools, obviously, um, the charity that Louisa is now um, the CEO. CEO. Woo, go Woo. Louisa! Yeah, the, the charity that she is now CEO of, uh, Beyond, I think, you know, focuses a lot on um, young people's mental health. Um, it's what she talks about really being really, really passionate about. They did an event that she'll talk about in the episode. Um, and I think just in terms of, kids going back to school at the moment. You know, when this episode is out, it'll be the beginning of the Easter holidays and teachers will have just had, and kids and parents, I'm sure, a really um whirlwind three weeks back. I'm sure yeah. how's it been for you, Sarah? Do you know what? It's
1: gone better than I thought it was going to, but um I think what's interesting is, you know, we've had this real thing where we had sort of an initial period of it being positive. And then they've started to lose the plot and the kind of the reality of adjusting back to full time school has started to hit. And I think, you know, I think a lot of that will will be true across the board. There'll be students who have been very grateful to be back and enjoying it. And then suddenly in the same way, this what happens when four year olds start school. They come along, they're really excited. And then within a few weeks, they go,
0: oh, I have to do this every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I think
1: there'll be a lot of that going
0: on. So, yeah, really timely. Yeah. And they're really tired. Yeah. It's, it's a lot for them physically but also mentally and I think that it's important for us as adults to remember that as well when things do start opening up and we we've talked a lot about this you know going back to whatever normal life looks like actually our baseline for what we're able to take on has changed you know for some people that's actually increased a lot um, and they're really burnt out for other people you know they've been doing less whether that's like I said less mentally or less physically and um, regardless of of it everybody's going to have to adjust to something new again and I think we all need to give ourselves a big break because it's going to be it's going to be tiring even if it feels amazing it's going to be tiring and those two things are are not exclusive are they no not at all one thing that we did just want to mention particularly about this episode is that obviously all our episodes come with a general trigger warning that most people share about times when they've struggled with their mental health and we know that different things can be triggering for different people but we wanted to make a point of saying before this episode that louisa does talk about a suicide attempt and subsequent admission to psychiatric hospital there are no details but we know that listening to someone talk about being in this dark place might not be something that everyone is able to do right now so please do look after yourself and either skip forward when this comes up or give this episode a miss we think it's really important that this is a space where people can share their stories honestly and that our listeners hear a range of stories about what struggling with mental health looks like and what will always remove anything we think would be inappropriate to share we don't want to censor their experiences so we hope for most of you that this is an informative and hopeful conversation to listen to and we do have plenty of fun as well so if you're feeling okay after hearing this then come and join us as we speak with louisa Louisa, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. As always, we're going to start with some icebreakers um, before we dive in. So, to kick us off, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, who would you pick? Oh,
1: oh, I know who I would pick. I would pick my four-year-old son and his shoes. I would love to see the world through his eyes because I don't remember what it's like to be a
0: four-year-old. <laughs> we both said. Kids that we know as well, yeah, absolutely. And what was the last book you read?
1: The last book I read was actually called Exhale by a breathwork um, specialist called Richard Bostock, and that was a few months ago. I have a lot of uh, reading to catch up on, but that was the last book that I read because so I really got into breathwork.
0: Yeah, and you've been quite busy recently, which is linked to our next question, which is. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about your job
1: so i am unbelievably passionate about basically improving access for young people to to be able to access mental health provisions like that is it that's just that's what i want to do um and so when we actually make that happen and we see the direct like impact that that can have that's that's my favorite
0: thing oh we're going to come back to that later
1: excellent okay we've got a quick five for you now so bath or shower shower night in or night out oh night in paper book or e-reader paper book city break or beach holiday beach holiday (laughs) and then the 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 big one coke or pepsi oh i don't drink fizzy drinks (sighs) (laughs) I don't like them not any like kind of funny you know they're not healthy or whatever just I actually have never ever drunk them to the point that if my husband has a glass we both have a glass of water beside our bed and if for some reason his is like almost finished and it was from earlier on it's often sparkling water but I don't realize until I I drink it and then
0: really
1: yeah do I drink fizzy drinks sorry about that that's all
0: right that's allowed I love it when we say quick five and someone's like right I'm taking this seriously it's going to be quick. <laughs>
1: Literally you, you have to if you haven't watched Ellen DeGeneres and her whatever it's called like the challenge and the buzzer thing.
0: Oh uh, the burning questions it, thing yeah really,
1: yeah a really quick one yeah. Cool well thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your kind of experience of mental health and yeah a bit about your journey? So I'm Louisa Rose and I am 37 I really hope to think about that I'm a mum to two children and married to a very very wonderful man but my life basically just wasn't always that kind of rosy I guess I've always struggled from a really young age with my mental health and it was sort of I don't want to say triggered because I actually look back and realize that it actually I struggled with it from a, a, a lot a much earlier age than i guess my doctor thought i did if that makes sense but i guess it was triggered enough for me to kind of go to the doctors and get a diagnosis and um, when my parents split up and just by the way to caveat this like i come from an, an incredibly supportive and loving family and they are amazing and i wouldn't have be here right now if it wasn't for them but when i say that like my life wasn't always rosy i just always struggled in myself like i never fitted in I never felt like i did I was always unbelievably anxious, always super worried, became really depressed when my parents did split up. And I just didn't, I guess it was at a time when we just didn't really have the kind of vocabulary to know how to kind of talk about what it was that we were feeling or name the feelings or the emotions or where they sit in your body. You know, we didn't know any of this stuff. And, or I certainly wasn't educated in it. And it just got worse and I kind of got... um, Uh, recurrent like I I was diagnosed with recurrent depressive disorder and basically my most severe episode was again triggered but it was triggered by my own divorce so I was married once before and I dealt with that incredibly um, badly and I actually tried to take my own life. It was a really really dark time for me and it was very close to having worked and so I ended up in hospital uh, in a psychiatric hospital for a month and I really think that that was sort of like the beginning of my journey to mental health maintenance to kind of I guess understanding myself my mind you know what works for me what doesn't work for me what my kind of triggers are and things like that but since I was 13 which is when my parents separated that is sort of I've spent from 13 to let's say 37, basically trying to figure out what that maintenance looks like. Um, and I think I've kind of, I'm in, I'm in a really good place now. And I think that it's one that, yeah, I know myself more than I ever knew myself before, even at the times when I thought I knew myself, um, if that makes sense.
0: So that's a little bit about me. Wow. So you said that it was maybe when you were in hospital that you really started to then think about the maintenance and, and what all that meant for you. What was it like from the age of kind of 13 to that point in terms of any support that you received or, or any understanding around what was going on for you?
1: See, this is the bit that when I look back was the reason why I was, I got to where I got to when I was 28, which is when I actually tried to take my own life. But because there, there was that lack, it was just such a lack of understanding, you the breadth of therapies available. And I, I guess also like the understanding of what each of those sort of approaches are is there more than it ever has been. I'm not saying that it's it's there for everybody and I'm not saying that we're, we're educating everybody in the, in the way that we should do around that, but we're definitely in a better place than we were then. And so what support looked like at that time was both the doctor, doctor holds up some black and white cards with some funny shapes and sludges, and if you answer correctly you get sent home with some sweeties basically antidepressants and that was my like first experience with medication and it didn't do very well for me either because I was really sick with the first lot um but again like even my doctor there was no you should probably combine this with therapy, talking therapy, or something. There was none of that at all, and we were basically left to our own devices. And my, like I was saying before, I've got a very, very supportive family. And so my mum did everything that she could, and you know, tried to figure out like where I should go and who I should speak to. And we, we were really lucky that we could afford um, private um, support then at that time. But that doesn't even actually help because. It was sort of, um, because it was such a taboo subject, especially within, you know, like I come from Glasgow, a small Jewish community where it's like a very kind of undercover type conversation that's had. And it's opening up a lot more now, but it was difficult for my mum to kind of get recommendations or, you know, know who to, to take me to. So I have been to every kind of therapist I have done cbt i have done um, anxiety therapy i've done tapping um, i've done emdr i've done chanting i've done yoga i I've, I've done so many different types of therapy. i've done like interpersonal therapy. i've just i've done so much um and it was only my time in hospital that i a met the therapist that actually i still have now And I really kind of credit for helping me get to this place. And also um, where I was able to explore interpersonal therapy. If you had told me before that I was going to sit in a group and that that was actually going to help me, I would have laughed at you. But genuinely, that was probably the single most effective sort of therapeutic approach for me. I think I probably progressed more during IPT than I did in, in any other types of therapy. So yeah, so my journey was really one of like being a bit blind and not knowing where to go and what to, you know, what would, what would help and just being fed, you know, medication as and when, if I got bored of being on meds and thinking, you know, that I was fine, you know, the fine and inverted commas, then I would wean myself off and then, you know, I'd be like, I see I'm fine, I'm fine and then another life event would happen and I was really not fine and. So it was, yeah, it was a bit, it was, a, it was a, a very up and down journey from that point.
0: I wonder whether you could say a little bit about what it was like in psychiatric hospital, because I think the vast majority of people have no idea and only have really kind of quite scary and sometimes inaccurate representations. No,
1: so we really have to do a lot of work around that. So um, again, I need to preface it with the fact that I was in a private um psychiatric hospital because my insurance was able to pay for it which was great because otherwise I wouldn't be able to afford it don't get me wrong it was a really really sort of terrifying experience being you know taken there and my first night there and I mean it it would have been for anybody wherever they were going after they'd just gone through what I had gone through so It wasn't that the hospital made it that way, but they were doing everything to make me safe that they could do. Um, And that in itself was just quite scary, right? But that I I had put myself in that position. It was actually a really lovely, like, this is gonna sound strange, but like experience in terms of meeting new people. Because for the first time, anyone and everyone that I spoke to day in day out there could relate to what I was feeling and that was a massive comfort and yes it's a bit a bit like school in the way that you know there's lunch time and there's but there has to be structure to the day because otherwise the therapy and everything else doesn't work um but I was able to explore you know music therapy and art therapy and dance therapy and I'm a big dancer and like that was just amazing for me I didn't even know that you could even do that and then like I said like you know interpersonal therapy I, I was introduced to mindfulness for the first time and it was nothing like the films thank goodness but equally it wasn't you know like a walk in the park because it wouldn't have worked if it was but it felt like a really safe place to be and actually so much so that actually when you come out of a psychiatric hospital it's quite difficult to kind of recalibrate let's say because you know it it is like you're sort of leaving your security blanket but again they have things in place to help you through that and it's like a step down tiered approach and but it was yeah it was hard but it was cathartic and I did more exploration of who I am and what my identity is and like really like my core values than I ever had done before. And there was like, it was this very specific and dedicated time that allowed me to do that. It was, it was good.
0: I think that very early on when we started doing this podcast, it might've even been after our first episode, somebody got in touch with Sarah to say like, thank you so much for doing this because I heard something that just made me go, oh, yeah I get that I connect with that and I think it was at that moment where we realized oh yeah that's why we're doing this and that's why we want to keep doing this and there's real power isn't there in in like you just said having other people that you can relate to and that you know relate to your experience so again yeah can you say a little bit more about what that was like to to have that in in hospital
1: oh absolutely I mean I think it's I don't think that I'm alone in sort of reflecting on like you know school life or or even family life and feeling like whatever I was feeling wasn't okay to feel and therefore would shut myself down or would just kind of hold it in or or whatever it might be so I had moments throughout my life where I had experiences where I met people that I did feel that comfortable talking to and that was brilliant but it wasn't I sort of had to go and find those people whereas when you're in hospital it's those people are just all around you because you're all in there yes, there is a massive spectrum of, you know, mental health illness, but you're all in there fundamentally because like if you broke an arm, you know, your brain was broken and you just needed some help to get it, you know, fixed or like, you know, find a way to kind of manage it and like rehabilitate it. And yeah, that like camaraderie in a way was just very, very comforting. And I remember actually coming out of that, and thinking, because I actually couldn't say the words, I tried to take my own life. I tried to kill myself. I couldn't say those words. I actually couldn't even say it when I was in hospital. I kept saying when I did that thing. And it was only through being around people that I knew could relate to my experience and whose experiences that I could relate to. And then out of hospital, continuing to meet more people like that because I guess like my na- my natural instinct anyway was just to sort of read up more and like, you know, social media, you know, just start start to kind of navigate my way through the mental health space or community. And there really is a community. And I only got to the point where I actually could own what that thing was once I had come out of hospital. And when I got when I came to that realization that, you know, it was like almost basically that I had come to a place of like acceptance that I had tried to kill myself. I'm very lucky that it didn't work. And that I actually was able to start talking about it more publicly. And I think that for all those people who still feel how I felt back when, that's why I'm doing what I do now. Because I just want to show them that it's okay to talk about this stuff. There is a massive proportion of society who can relate to you and who you can relate to. And, but unfortunately we are still battling with like fear and shame and all of those things. Um, and yeah, so, so I think for me, it was that sense of community that really helped to kind of break my walls down. And so I try to kind of, I guess, nurture that sense of community for other people if I can, mm. where I can.
0: Can you say a little bit more about what you do then?
1: Yeah. Well, actually it's, so, yes. Yeah, so, Very good moment to do that. So I am the CEO of Beyond, which is a grant-giving organization for um, we give grants to youth mental health initiatives. Um, That's a very new job for me. I'm literally one week into the job. I was and actually still am part-time a freelance social media consultant and mental health advocate. And what that means is that I help businesses to sort of organically grow their social media audiences. And I also go and talk publicly about my experiences with mental health. And I actually just started to marry the two together and sort of combine them with a passion of mine, which is young people and helping young people. And I started to deliver workshops and schools on social media and its impact on young people's mental health, because I really, really firmly believe, and this is something I still I will continue to do, but I believe that. Young people are growing up in a very digital-centric world without being educated how to use those technologies properly. And we wonder why social media has the wreck that it does. It's because we haven't ever taught children to curate their feed or what that even means or why it's important. We haven't put an emphasis on people wearing a watch because at the onset of like, you know, mobile phone technology, we just all started to tell the time using our phone. And that was basically just a gateway to all the applications that then, you know, came. so, so I do, so I, I talk in schools around that. Um, and I also, I took some time out during the pandemic, because I was already involved in the youth board of beyond of this charity that was set up by Johnny Benjamin, who mm-hmm. is, a total inspiration in this space, and um, well, actually should just be an inspiration to anybody. But I was already on on his youth board, and at the beginning of the pandemic, we realised that school children and college students were going to suffer enormously with the impact of the pandemic. So I designed a festival, a nationwide festival. We went massive. It was a vi- virtual only festival that really connected so it was the sense of community it connected schools and colleges with mental health support and resources and they took the shape of incredible lesson plans that were you know developed by some amazing organizations that worked with us um, for free an army I <laughs> can't say anything less than an army of about 350 approved because we everybody had to go through a rigorous process and be approved by our clinical lead approved mental health professionals and well-being professionals for free we ran about an entire day's worth of live streams with like you know being kelly holmes and katie piper and some and amazing people you know, mindfulness for kids and and um, gratitude lessons and, and all sorts including we partnered with Anna Freud center for teacher well-being and and around parents mental health and every single part of this festival was for free so schools and colleges could access it for free but everybody donated their time to it as well and it was this real sense of connectivity amongst us all so even from like the people who helped to put this festival on there is no greater group of people that i've ever come across in my life like they are the most dedicated most passionate mental health advocates young mental health advocates And, you know, we had like a university student who was heading up our our fundraising, uh, you know, team and produced our campaign video. And it it was just amazing. Um, So there was this idea of connection. And so now what we've done is we've we've nurtured this connection and this community. So 1,200 schools took part. We only planned this over a period of five months. 1,200 schools took part. And we've now got what we call the Now and Beyond community of young people and also of teachers and parents. And so what we're going to continue to do is nurture that. And so in my new, new role as CEO of the charity Beyond, that's what we want to build on. So it's that real cementing those connections.
0: It might be too early to ask this, or maybe you can't say, but is this festival going to be an annual thing?
1: Oh, 100%. That's like, <laughs> leave it.
0: That's- oh, good.
1: I mean, we basically, a lot of us didn't sleep for quite a long time during that festival. <laughs> um, but it is absolutely happening again because we've not only proven that the resources are out there, we have proven that A, people need them and want them and B, that on the flip side, that people are, are willing to to help and to give back. Uh, what, we, what I do need to say is that in order for it to have a long-term sustainable impact, which is what we, that is really our end goal because this isn't about like sort of one-off things that we just revisit in a year's time. We need to raise an awful lot of money to be able to provide grants to the schools that took part that maybe can't afford to financially sustain the relationships that we've been able to create for them or even new relationships that they want to explore within, you know, mental health provisions. So we're that's what we're doing right now. So we're we're launching a, a fund which we're currently raising money for, for that so that that can that will continue year on year on year, um, and yeah, it will depending what way you look at it, like culminate or or start with the festival. And that's like a, a crowdfunder thing, isn't it? That people can go and donate exactly. to. So exactly. we can put we can put the details in the show notes because I know you guys you hit your original goal, and now was like a new new goal so goal, and it's a big goal and but we think that once you know when we saw what we could achieve in the short time that we achieved it and we we think we can achieve this yeah big deep
0: <laughs> well, we have a uh, we have a good track record of crowdfunders who come on this podcast hitting their goals haven't we that's
1: true because the, the Braston brothers came on our podcast and then hit their we just blasted it all
0: over social media. I'm not, I'm not going to say that we're the reason that they met their total, but it did happen after they'd been on our podcast twice. So
1: <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. So I'm really excited that we're going to... There
0: you go. <laughs> it's, yeah, this is going to blow it out of the water. Yeah,
1: amazing.
0: Fantastic. Oh, well, Louisa, obviously, as you know, the reason that we call this a drop in the bucket is because we talk to everybody who comes on about the idea of a stress bucket and you've already said that um you've gone through a real journey thinking about how you maintain um kind of your mental health and being aware of things that add stress to your bucket and things that are helpful for you so can we just ask you a little bit about that and to start with what are the things that you know add stress to your bucket
1: so, I am not great with uncertainty, much to my dismay, because I really, really liked like you know in my sort of early twenties like I went on a great adventure and lived in Spain, and you know I mean there was no certainty there, but yeah, I'm not great with uncertainty and um, I am absolutely terrible with no sleep, and I'm a mum of two really little children, so I'm familiar with what no sleep feels like but I sort of I say that really seriously because sleep is almost like a therapy to me and we know that it's nourishing and we know that it's restorative but but for me I could literally close my eyes for 20 minutes and I'll feel a lot better after that and it's really important that I prioritize that So, so sleep is one of one of them as well and I think I get very overwhelmed when overwhelm actually, overwhelm is something. So I get very overwhelmed when there are loads and loads of things to do. And I basically endlessly writing lists and then scoring them out and then rewriting them and then I tick something off. And, but it doesn't quite look like the neat list that I need it to look like. So then I do it again, you know, it's just a bit, yeah, it's very overwhelming and I, I don't do very well with overwhelming.
0: Which <laughs> I'm just thinking that what you've just taken on in terms of this festival. <laughs> Combined with what you've just said.
1: <laughs> so it's so interesting. So very, very observant. I was really concerned about how I was going, how the sort of the come down of the festival was going to affect me. But I was so conscious of it and so sort of, let's say, concerned about it, that I put certain structures in place. So I had my therapist's appointment just after the festival I scheduled in like two days of sleeping and then actually for about a week after I had a nap every day and I just made sure that like my time so it and what kept me going through the festival without a shadow of, the, of a doubt was the adrenaline but it was actually in a good way and it was an, adre- an adrenaline that I was happy to take on because it came from such a purely passionate place mm-hmm. And um, it was something I genuinely felt so, so strongly about. And to that person that said, you know, maybe you should just test it out. It was like, I know that I I know that we needed to do this on a big scale, first of all. So like that just it kept driving me. So you are right. <laughs> and the overwhelm was definitely there. But I think because of the adrenaline, because of the sense of community within the team of us that put it all on, it felt very much like it was shared and you know, throughout the, the process, the organisation process of the festival, different team members struggled at different times and everybody else just sort of swooped in and took over that at that moment. And then when that team member was comfortable and happy again to kind of take on a bit more than, than they did. And so we really allowed for everybody to have their moments, which I think really was, was helpful too. Um, and I also have to say that, at the very beginning of the festival of the the organizing it I, I took very seriously like a responsibility of looking after the organizational team and their mental health and making sure that i wasn't overwhelming them so i definitely did absorb a lot of that stuff and at a time when i was finding it overwhelming this like <laughs> total angel i happened to connect with her because i had read an article that she'd written in psychology's magazine and it was around the importance of teaching children from a really young age about mental health and well-being and really just getting to them really really young and and actually in a sort of whole school fully really embedded approach And I thought, I really need to talk to this lady because I'm sure it said psychologist next to her name. And I was like, I need to talk to her. She needs to be involved in the festival. Like, what a great fit. Um, And I called her and she basically told me she was a corporate psychologist. No, an organisational psychologist. And I was like, great, what does that mean? (laughs) I was basically, she goes into organisations. So it wasn't the psychologist in the sense that I knew it, but we were so aligned in our thinking. And she just said, you know, I wish I could support in some kind of a way. And I was, you know, I was talking to her about the team and, and everything else. And she said, you're looking after a lot of people, like who's looking after you? And I broke down in tears. And I was just, I was like, it makes me feel quite emotional actually thinking about this. I broke down in tears because I remember it so well. I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. And this woman was saying, about oh, how are you doing? And I was just, I was, yeah, I was floored. And she said, okay, that's how I can support this. I want to work with you on a very, like, you know guilt-free this is something I absolutely want to do there is no money involved this is I'm giving my time to you I want to do that you are accepting if you if you do and I want to work with you and she did and honestly for the first like for those first I think six weeks I had a weekly meeting with her and then at the end of six weeks I was like okay I really appreciate this it's been unbelievable but like I'm good now you know like I, she really helped me to understand actually like the tools that I needed to sort of organize this machine because that's what we all were. like we genuinely were we were running like a machine you know we were in teams and we had team leads and it was all very organized (laughs) and yeah I can't remember why I said that but she was brilliant her name is Emma Haddleton and she was my guardian angel at that moment I think we got into it because we were talking about um, taking on something when you feel, when you can get overwhelmed. But I was chuckling to myself because Becca and I are both people who do that. Like, as in, we've run a couple of conference days ourselves for um, our church and we just, you thrive on it. You look like the organisation of it, the thrill of the day. But the first one we did ran less than two months after Becca had given birth. And she bossed it like I can't even tell you how much she bossed it it's not a mission literally my favorite moment was um this point where Becca was leading something from the front and her son was crying outside and she was meant to intro the next bit and while she was doing something we had a completely unspoken conversation with our eyes about the fact that I needed to go and take over from her so that she could go and feed her son it honestly no one else knew it happened but it was spectacular but brain twins brain twins but i don't i totally get it that there's you know, when you're passionate about something and that drives you to do it and having mental health difficulties or knowing you get overwhelmed something shouldn't hold you back from doing any of those things but it's about knowing what things mm-hmm. to put in place so that um you can be looked after and those around you can be looked after
0: I think there's a massive difference as well between something that you're passionate about and kind of take on with that kind of you know passion and adrenaline and the overwhelm of lots of little things building up or things you know are falling on you that you didn't anticipate or that you didn't ask for and I think When you were talking, I was thinking about a a kind of a physical comparison whereby there will be. I really like my exercise. We won't get into this. (laughs) Sarah hates it. I love it. I love my exercise and I will do like long runs or a spin class or something like that. I have a spin bike in my conservatory. And at the end of it, I feel I will say like, oh, I feel like I'm dying. Like I feel so exhausted and I love it. And that feeling of exhaustion, which is kind of paired with satisfaction and knowing that I've done that because it was my choice and I was in control of my body. Compare that to other times I've been tired when it's because I've been drained by other things I didn't necessarily choose to do or when the baby has kept me up all night there is you know it's completely completely different and it's like so it's not about I can't cope with being tired I can't cope with being kind of physically achy or exhausted it's all about context and how you've set it up and like you said and what you do afterwards it's like I need to stretch after I do that kind of exercise otherwise the following day I'm going to ache you need to mentally stretch and relax and things like that after something huge like this.
1: And also you need, like, you know, I I wouldn't have actually been able to do this festival at all if my husband, there are like a few things that just happened to happen at that time. So my husband wasn't as busy with work. So he was able to do a lot of the childcare stuff. And, you know, there's, my cup would have just overflown and my kids would have needed to be the priority. So I wouldn't have been able to do it as well. So it's, it's actually not, it doesn't actually all just fall with you. Mm. It, it has a lot to do with like your surrounding and whether or not you feel supported as well through doing what you're doing but yeah it's about that sort of owning the choice of doing it
0: yeah so when do you notice that your bucket's filling up
1: so um it's a bit random but so i'm 37 and about been <laughs> oh, before the pandemic or maybe actually when we just come out of a lockdown yeah we just come out of a lockdown and I went to a neurologist on the recommendation of my psychiatrist um, and he diagnosed me with Tourette's. And I had this very kind of misinformed understanding of what Tourette's was. And I, I get, I'm i very like sort of twitchy and I, I, I've got like lots of different nervous habits as I've always been, they've always been called. And it turns out actually it's Tourette's. And Tourette's isn't actually, doesn't come on because of, anxiety which a lot of people kind of think it does but it does get exacerbated by it so one of the things for me is that I know that I'll be more twitchy and I won't be able to like for me it's clearing my throat that's what one of one of my like tics is and I also think that I'm <laughs> it's quite physical with me because I also get eczema so like I get I get very very itchy itchy and twitchy um <laughs> but but they are they're physical signs that i am my cup's overflowing mm. so i mean they, to be honest they are actually they're the most obvious signs if i paid a bit closer attention to my body before it got to that then i would notice it because i'd be increasingly more tired or i wouldn't have you know i would be feeling more anxious internally And um, but like so many like you know you just sort of wash it right down until it really does actually overflow um, and then your body sort of cries out and goes no, no 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 no, actually you need to stop now and do people close to you notice that or the other things that they notice no my husband's really good um, at noticing it he also i guess but no it is it's mainly that I'm, I'm just trying to think actually because there are moments when my kind of resources like my emotional resources are quite low that I've got quite a visual like visual imagination and a visual memory and all sorts of stuff like that. And so, if I watch the news, let's see, and I and see something that's really sad, that re- I can't let go of that. That image is stuck in my mind, and I find myself it find it more difficult to kind of let go of those kind of visuals when I'm actually feeling emotionally not not emotionally lower but like when my cup is is filling over more right because I I just don't have the kind of capacity let's say to to take control over my imagination so I certainly yeah I actually uh, I'm quite good at talking to my husband about when I am feeling particularly visually connected to something and it's and it's upsetting and that's actually another one of the
0: signs what else do you notice happening when your bucket overflows in terms of uh, things other than the physical side
1: when it overflows I most likely don't talk as much um, and I'm a bit of a talker but what I mean is not necessarily talking about like how I'm feeling but more reaching out to friends just having a chat like that sort of just kind of goes away and um, for me it's I, I find all sorts of excuses to not speak to friends it feels at that moment in time by the way, if there are any of my friends that are listening to this, like I love you, but it t- it feels at that time that it's like a chore. So I definitely, I definitely experience that. And I think, I mean, obviously like, you know, my kind of, my temper, I'm just so much more agitated. Like that's, that's just what it is. I don't, I don't necessarily become withdrawn with my family, but I think it's like kind of external to my family. I, I probably do
0: yeah but i think agitated is the one that pretty much everybody has said haven't they on our podcast um which i found really nice to listen, to hear because that was one of my oh thank goodness it's not just me moments <laughs> like i'm so glad everybody else gets a bit like this as well
1: totally and i think if i'm seeing you know if i'm explaining like the itchiness and the um the twitchy and and all of that like that is absolutely agitation it all ties in it's all part of the same thing like my temper being shorter it's agitated it, it's everything is agitation I think that it's a great word
0: <laughs> yeah one of my cousins when he was really little he came up with a word called clumpsy which he said was like it's when you're not uncomfortable but you're not quite comfortable and so it's like you could be sat in like a really comfortable chair or beanbag but your body just doesn't quite feel right you can't settle I suppose and we just went That's great. And so we've always used that in a family. We've always said, oh, I feel a bit clumsy. But in the last few years, I've, I've tried to explain how I feel more emotionally sometimes to my husband. And I've kind of gone... I just feel like mentally clumsy. It's like, I don't know maybe what I'm worried about. I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but my brain can't settle. And like, there's nothing I, I, I can put my finger on that I want to talk through. I just, and I suppose it's that kind of agitation almost, isn't it? But um, yeah, I, I say clumsy.
1: <laughs> that really resonates with me because I, my husband often says, you know, oh, so what do you think has triggered it? And I'm like, just don't know. Like I just, I just don't know. But that actually has to just be okay. Because I think also then in trying to desperately figure out what that thing is, makes you more clumsy. So I'm definitely stealing that.
0: Yeah. And I, I think when I, particularly in my work with teenagers, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I just felt, insert emotion, and there was no reason for it. And I will always kind of challenge that and go, well, there will be a reason, but we may not come to the bottom of it. Like We might not be able to figure it out. And that's also okay. And it's because... If we come back to the idea of a stress bucket, there could be one or two massive things that have gone in your stress bucket, but realistically it's little things all over the place and they're flying in and out all the time. We don't need to know exactly what it's been, but we do need that appreciation that there will have been something. And the more we pay attention to these things, the more we're going to be practiced at figuring out, but no matter how good we get at that, inverted commas, we're never going to have the answer all the time. And that, yeah, that has to be okay.
1: Totally. Have you have you seen? Them? There is a mental health illustrator. Well, actually, she's a psychologist and an illustrator she's called the Psychology Mum. Do you know who she is? Yeah, I just love her illustration. Yeah, have you got the toolkit? Yeah, love yeah,
0: it. I just got my book on my shelf.
1: <laughs> love it. She did an illustration of Brian the Brain for the festival for us. I'm so grateful. But her, she does a capacity cup thing, and I just I love it. Like the way that she's able to kind of visually represent for me, what's going on in my head. But then to know that that is that relatable to all of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that follow her as well is like very, very reassuring. So yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you.
0: And you've kind of spoken to this a little bit already, but what are some of the things that empty your bucket slash cup?
1: Dancing, but dancing is, when I'm feeling like that, it's like the last thing I want to do. But it's that thing of, you know, once you do it, you know, you'll feel good. Uh, well, yeah, I can convince myself that I won't actually at the time. I can find all sorts of reasons not to, but in the moment that I actually do find myself dancing, whether it's for in a class or even just with my kids because they love it too, and it's just so sweet. I am happy and I am relieved. My bucket has been relieved, and you know it's like someone's put a little hole at the bottom, and it's all just sort of flowed out nicely. <laughs> so there's there's that. I also a fan of breathwork work now i mean i'm not an expert in it in the slightest but there is an amazing breathwork work guy that i recently discovered called jamie clements he's got a, a brand called the breath space i think and he did some practical stuff with me and obviously there's the richie Rostock book that i talked about um so yes I, I i find breath work really helps in that moment just to kind of really kind of like Refocus on the breath and really just bring yourself back to that moment, wherever you are in that position on your bed or your chair, whatever it is. So I find those two; those those are the two kind of key things for me. And sleep, I'm a big fan of sleep. I'm fully, yeah. I'm an I'm a napper. I I could nap anywhere, anytime. I'd yeah. be really happy going back to the dancing thing on in Children's Mental Health Week with for my class on the Friday on our for our zoom like our gathering lesson online lesson we had a dance party so um basically I told them all to come in their party gear in their living rooms and I just played songs through zoom and um everyone was on mute including me and I just stood in this room and had like the biggest dance party just myself for like a good 25-30 minutes that makes me the greatest time oh literally that makes me giddy that is that's brilliant
0: she sent me a photo afterwards and was like, ah, I'm ah. dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired.
1: Just it's, danced flat it's
0: out. 9.45 in the morning and I'm done. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: well, yeah. Maybe you can host that at the next festival,
1: Sarah. Okay. Oh my gosh, that, I, I honestly. Yeah. So I teach um, receptions. They're four and five years old and they just had the best time. We spent the whole week talking about mental health and like all the different ways that we can cope with our emotions and express ourselves and all that kind of stuff and I just I, I adored it I loved spending the week focusing on that I mean look we're gonna we're gonna I'm really conscious that when schools go back I'm gonna the first several weeks of my time are going to be about mental health and PSHE because that adjustment is going to be huge there's all this talk of math and literacy catch up now I'm, t- I'm emotionally catching up I need think children really need it They really do. I just, I'm I'm not sure like how that is going to be given the focus that it needs to be given if it doesn't come from the top. The the government doesn't say, forget about academics just now. Let's just focus on the emotional needs of the children. Unless it comes from there, everyone's going to be scrambling to try and like meet these unbelievably over just expectations, you know? It's just. It really worries me.
0: I'm going to ask both of you what your thoughts are about this actually because obviously I know one of the difficulties in primary schools from an academic point of view is that you can have a real range particularly early on in the school in terms of abilities and how you're trying to pitch academic work. I think I'm really aware that we're going to have children then coming back into school who and, and this is always the case to Russell spoke a little bit about this how you have a bit of a range within your class of um, kind of emotional understandings and experiences that they've had themselves and at home and how they're they're doing with their well being generally, but there are going to be children who are coming back into schools feeling all right after this, and then other ones that are really struggling. And how you're kind of going to pitch that? Then it's almost going to be like a bit of a group therapy situation, isn't it? What are your thoughts about some of the challenges of that, but also some of the ways that teachers can address that? I, well, I guess from my point of view, I sort of plan to approach it like I would any
1: other subject so with something like phonics for example that I teach I do whole class lessons in phonics because actually there is nothing bad about introducing new concepts or um, reminding everybody of the same thing and through that I tend to pick up the ones that need a little bit of extra and then I build in the space to provide that so that's what I would do from an academic point of view it shouldn't be any different from an emotional point of view doing something as a whole class. Um, that will benefit everybody and hopefully through that being able to go right I've got those handful of children that I need to put in more time with to build that in and I think if we can approach it and I'm really fortunate that my school are are really hot on children's mental health and mental health awareness and I know that we'll be given the the capacity and the allowance to do that to be able to kind of do that so from my point of view I think particularly the, with working with the younger children who don't definitely don't necessarily have the uh, vocabulary to express or name those emotions you know half my kids can't name the fact that they're hot or cold let alone that they're feeling anxious or um worried or sad or relieved or happy you know all those kinds of things and we've talked about this um, mentioned it again Bruston and brothers like it it's that kind of emotional language is is going to be really key I think Yeah I mean I I totally agree I mean I'm not a teacher but I have little children I've been through school myself um, and mine are going through it and I just think it's that thing of it's it's exactly what you said Sarah it's like that thing of you know if everybody's going to benefit from it nobody's going to be negatively impacted by doing an extra bit around well-being or whatever it might be but I my goal would be that it gets sort of embedded so it becomes part of a school's culture Mm -hmm. so that exactly like you're saying you can kind of identify the children that aren't struggling a little bit with it and maybe need some more attention but also you it's such a part of the culture of the school that to the people to the kids that are doing okay it's sort of no different like as in it's part of the day-to-day routine and and I think you know for me that would just be an amazing place to get to and if I also sort of see this as like an opportunity. Um, You know, the pandemic has really caused us to review the way that we actually do teach this stuff in schools. And what would be a really big shame is if we kind of missed this opportunity to learn from it and actually change things. Um, But, I mean, a lot needs to happen in order to allow schools and teachers the space to do that but I do believe that I mean there's you shouldn't have to be a forward-thinking teacher to bring this stuff into your school or into your space and you know it should just be part of what is expected.
0: Yeah and I think linking that to what you said earlier Louisa about there are things that you can do for your own mental health for example but things also depend on those around you and the support next week you have and just circumstances and all sorts of things you can't attribute everything to external factors but you can't attribute everything to internal factors either and equally you can have teachers who are so passionate about delivering this stuff but the systems are not in place to allow them to do it or allow them to do it well so i think we've we've talked quite a lot obviously because it's a a real passion of mine and sarah's about children's mental health in schools but if anybody's listening to this and they're thinking well I don't have kids or I don't work with children or youth and children's mental health isn't really something that I'm like that passionate about why is this stuff still so important for everyone to be engaging with and what can people be doing if they think it's not affecting me or anyone I know but yes it makes sense that this stuff needs to be taught in schools what can people be doing on that you know bigger level I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's about, you know, there's no reason why we can't take the lessons we learn from, you know, what's happening to kids in schools and take it into the workplace. There's no reason why we can't be sharing these experiences and actually influencing change in any setting that we're in, because there is no drawback to being more in tune with Your emotional self. There's just no there's no drawback to it, and actually, it it leads to a more productive life. I mean, research shows that it leads to a happier life. You know, there's no there's just nothing to say. Well, you shouldn't take heed of what we're all talking about just because it doesn't directly relate to you. Because the same approaches could be rolled out in in the workplace, in the corporate space, and in anything. And and actually, the generation that, you're, that we are doing that, this for within the educational system are going to be the future leaders. So we kind of want resilient leaders. And we want, you know, empathetic leaders. And that's what we're trying to kind of, that's what we're trying to really, like, nurture in, in that, that generation. So I, I don't see how that could not affect you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think if you don't have any direct access with children, if you don't have kids, you don't work with children and young people, there are still so many ways that you can get involved. Um, I was um, just struck again by the psychologist that you talked about who used her skills to support your team, you know, actually, have you got skills that could help support a team to support young people? You know, um, have you got, um, you know, we're always looking for people who work in different industries to come and kind of share their work experience, you know, it's that kind of thing. Oh, you know, I'm just going to pop it in there. Crowdfunding for beyond. Just saying, if you know, if you haven't got anywhere else to help, money always helps.
0: So yeah.
1: yeah, money always helps. There you go. Not to take it away from the crowdfunding because we really, really need it, by the way. And it's, it's there up on our crowdfunder. Please have a look at it. But there's there are some amazing, you know, initiatives that are happening now. So um, there's a psychologist we recently came across, but she's also got this passion for boxing. And she now combined the two. Um, and that has enabled her to access a vulnerable young population of people and engage them in a conversation around like their emotions through boxing, which is just brilliant. You know, there's like, there's, there are so many things. Okay, so she's a psychologist. So like, she's obviously kind of related to... No, but in fact, one of our very dear friends, Ash, um, who we've had on the podcast well, she has been working as a missionary in Thailand uh, with women who have been uh, trafficked. And she is also a personal trainer. And so actually now she's kind of back in the UK, and even when she was out there, her real passion is using health and fitness to help uh, women with trauma. Yeah. And so actually you can have no professional background in some of these things and still find a way to impact people and use your skills in a way that will will just
0: you know help people's emotional health absolutely yeah couldn't agree more louisa i honestly i think we could talk to you all day but uh there's not that actually much of the day left we're doing this in the evening so uh, (laughs) we will wrap up but um, is there anything else particularly that you want to say that you want to share that you want people to know Um, and if you just wanted to quickly as well say where people can find you online we will link it all in the show notes but just so people can hear it as well
1: no absolutely okay so I'd I really really love you to um, or any of your listeners take a look at what we did with the festival so that's at nowandbeyond.org.uk you can actually watch it all back all the live events you can watch back and the resources are there there's some amazing resources for teachers on around their own well-being but also resources that they can actually use throughout the the year and um, we've curated a selection of support for parents and for young people for the work that beyond is doing it's wearebeyond.org.uk we are particularly active on Twitter and Instagram. So come and find us um, on there, it's We Are Beyond. And yeah, if, you know, every, kind of on a serious note, everything, every little helps. And so if you can spare anything for our crowd funder, it would be enormously appreciated. And it really will go directly to providing grants for those schools that can't afford mental health provisions. And unfortunately right now, we are in a situation um, we're being faced with a, a, a really terrible decline in children's mental health and the need been, is greater than ever. So yeah, if they could, if anybody listening wants to kind of you know, donate uh, a pound or 450,000, then <laughs> please go to Crowdfunder and search us at Now and Beyond.
0: Yeah. I'm sure when like Beyonce listens to this, she'll be right on it. Like <laughs> one of our biggest fans. <laughs>
1: I just
0: tag Beyonce when I, when, when I share it with our followers. <laughs> we'll tag we her as well. I was going to say, if we end up having her on later in the year because of this, we'll totally credit you for it.
1: When oh we God. were starting to look at podcast guests for this year, we just threw out a net to all our dream guests. And we were joking about Michelle Obama. We sent her a message. She hasn't responded. But we we're like, why not? You have to do it. I'm not I'm not gonna lie that's how we got Kate Silverton Kate thank you very much love you you're brilliant but I literally hounded her on Twitter
0: wonderful Louisa thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing your story it's it's so nice to hear that coming from a place of it's been so hard for you to talk about you talk about I don't know how it feels for you doing it but it comes across as just so easy and it's so easy to listen to um so thank you so much for that
1: no thank you so much for having me honestly it means it means the world and thank you for doing what you're doing and just sharing like knowledge and experiences with such a big audience so thank you
0: and thank you everybody for listening and I'm looking at my microphone as though you're all in here by the way (laughs) stop staring at the screen I'm looking down the microphone at all our lovely listeners I'll look at mine too I'll look at my mind yeah okay let's we're both staring at you now um thank you everyone for listening we'll see you next month with our next guest bye bye Thank you for listening to A Drop in the Bucket. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at drop in the bucket pod, or Twitter at dropbucketpod. Alternatively, you could email us on dropinthebucketpod at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you about what fills and empties your bucket or any questions that you might have for us or our future guests. We hope you'll tune in next week.